Welcome to Morning Soap. At Fusion Church, our desire is that every believer would not just attend church, but also hear from God daily through His Word. As we read the Bible, we begin to see how God responds to things. Doing daily devotions repatterns the way we think, transforms the spirit of our mind, and helps us become more like Jesus. Join us here, Monday through Friday, as various pastors and leaders at Fusion Church share devotion and teaching through that day's soap scripture. Download the current soap reading plan at fusionchurch.cc soap. Amen. Amen. Well, how good is the love of Jesus? Come on, somebody. Give us an amen, thumbs up, raised hand emoji, clap hand emoji in the comments, and let us know how much, how grateful you are for the love of Jesus this morning. Hey, all right, before we get started, you know, we got some announcements. Hey, for all you mamas out there, mama bears, it is your day on Sunday, Mother's Day. Come on, we've got a lot of special things going on on Sunday. We're going to have iced coffee, iced tea. A candy bar for you moms and we got the photo booth going it's gonna be an awesome awesome Sunday we can't wait to celebrate youth with you and we also have a bunch of child dedications going on this Sunday so make sure you invite your moms your aunts your cousins your grandmoms everyone out to uh, church this weekend because it's gonna be awesome and we also have none other than Pastor Danielle uh, sharing this weekend. So it's going to be a great weekend. It's going to be a great Sunday and you don't want to miss it. Can you guys hear me? Okay. Give me a thumbs up if you can. All right, cool. I just want to make sure my mic's working. All right. Awesome. So those are your announcements. Make sure you come out this weekend. It's going to be a great weekend and we have a lot uh, to look forward to, um, coming up. So, all right, before we get into it, we're going to be in Deuteronomy chapter 24. Deuteronomy chapter 24, do me a favor, start heading over there. Before we do, we're going to pray real quick. Father, we just thank you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the way that it leads us, directs us, the way that it teaches us, encourages us, the way that it rebukes us, God. And so we just ask that this morning that your word would do what it's meant to do, God. Uh, challenge us, speak to us, let us hear your voice, God, and teach us. Uh, in the way that we should go. But Lord, help us to be, as the word says, uh, not to just be hearers of the word, but doers of the word. And so Lord, today we put our trust in you as we study your word, make it come alive to us. In Jesus' name we pray. And the church said, amen and amen. Okay, we are going to be in Deuteronomy chapter 24. I got it up on the screen for you. Uh, the reason I have it up on the screen is because, give me one second here, let me come back here, I'm going to be reading from the new, I'm sorry, for the from the ESV version, it's not going to be the NIV version, I read it in the NIV version, and I just quite frankly like the way that it's worded more in the ESV version, so I've got it on the screen for you if you want to follow along. Excuse me, let me take a sip. Hey, did you guys see my Bears beats Battlestar Galactica lug? Come on. Any Office fans out there? Put in the chat. Okay. All right. So we are in Deuteronomy chapter 24, ESV, English Standard Version. And we are starting at verse 1. <clears throat> it says, when a man takes a wife and marries her, 
If then she finds no favor in his eyes because he has found no uh, some indecency in her, and he writes her a certificate of divorce and puts it in her hand and sends her out of his house, and she departs out of his house, and if she goes and becomes another man's wife, and the latter man hates her and writes her certificate of divorce and puts in it, puts it in her hand and sends her out of the house, or if the latter man dies, who took her to be his wife, then her former husband, who sent her away, may not take her again to be his wife after she has been defiled, for that is an abomination before the Lord, and you shall not bring sin upon the land that the Lord your God is giving you for an inheritance. Verse 5. When a man is newly married, he shall not go out with the army or be liable for any other public duty. He shall be free at home one year to be happy with his wife whom he has taken. No one shall take a mill or an up or an upper millstone in pledge for that would be taking a life in pledge. If a man is found stealing one of his brothers of the people of Israel, and if he treats him as a slave or sells him, then the thief shall die. So you shall purge the evil from your midst. Verse 8, take care in a case of leprous, uh, of leprous disease to be very careful to do according to all the, that the Levitical priest shall direct you as a commanded as I commanded them, so you shall be careful to do. Remember what the Lord your God did to Miriam on the way as you came out of Egypt. When you make your neighbor alone of any sort, you shall not go into his house, his house to collect his pledge. You shall stand outside, and the man to whom you make the, the loan shall bring the pledge out to you. And if he is a poor man, you shall not sleep in in his pledge you shall restore to him the pledge as the sun sets that he may sleep in his cloak and bless you and it shall be righteousness for you before the lord your god verse 14 you shall not oppress a hired worker who is poor and needy whether he is one of your brothers or one of the so sojourners another word for sojourners is foreigners who are in your land within your towns you shall give him his wages on the same day before the sun sets, for he is poor and counts on it, lest he cry out against you to the Lord, and you be guilty of sin. Fathers shall not be put to death because, they're, because of their children, nor shall children be put to death because of their fathers. Each one shall be put to death for his own sin. You shall not pervert the justice due to the sojourners, or to the fatherless, or to or take a widow's garment and pledge. But you shall remember that you were a slave in Egypt, and the Lord your God redeemed you from there. Therefore, I command you to do this. Verse 19. When you reap a harvest, when you reap your harvest in your field, and forget a sheaf in the field, you shall not go back to get it. It shall be for the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands. When you beat your olive trees, you shall not go over them again. It shall be for the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow. 
you get when you gather the grapes of your vineyard, you shall not strip it afterward. It shall be for the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt. Therefore, I command you to do this. Amen. All right. That was a mouthful. We got a lot of laws to cover, but we're going to get through this, okay? So, we're going to start in verse 1, when it says, uh, When a man takes a wife and marries her, if then she finds no favor in his eyes, because he has found some indecency in her, and he writes her certificate of divorce and puts it in her hand and sends her out of the house, and she departs out of his house, and if she goes and becomes another man's wife, and that latter man hates her and writes her certificate, puts it in her hand, and sends her out of his house, or if a latter, or if the latter man dies, who took her to be his wife, then her former husband, who sent her away, may not take her again to be his wife. Okay, let's just make something clear. Uh, what this passage is saying is not that any man could divorce his his wife for any reason, just because he didn't find favor in her sight. We have to be very careful to read the text and read the text in its context and its entirety, in entirety, right? Word for word. It says, if then, if a man takes a wife, marries her, if then she finds no favor in his eyes because he has found some indecency in her, Right? Divorce was not taken lightly in the Old Testament. Now, as Jesus' time came in, when Jesus came into the New Testament, you see him uh, kind of talk about divorce. And he talks about divorce and he says, you have heard it said, uh, uh, you know, if a man uh, divorces his wife, and he said, and Jesus made it clear that a man was not to divorce his wife for any other reason other than the fact that she had been unfaithful because in Jesus' time, a man could divorce his wife if she didn't cook his meal right. Like just craziness was going on. But Jesus was pointing them back to what the law originally said, right? That God never promotes divorce, but he does permit it. God never promotes divorce, but he did permit it in the case of a wife of a spouse being unfaithful in their marriage. That's why, if you look at what he says, he says, if then she finds no favor in her husband's eyes because he has found some indecency in her, that word indecency denotes some kind of sexual immorality, right? Another uh, version of the Bible calls it uncleanness. Right, the Hebrew word actually translated translated uncleanness in itself implies the meaning of sexual immorality. It is literally nakedness of a thing, meaning that she has given herself to someone else. She has exposed herself to someone else. There has been some indecency, and so in that case, God never ever promoted or commanded divorce. But he did permit it. God's number one plan for marriage is intended to be between one man 
and one woman, and that marriage is meant to be for a lifetime. That's why look at the word that is carefully placed in this verse. When a a man takes a wife and marries her, if then, if, if, if then she finds no favor in his eyes, meaning that there is an opportunity for restoration. But the only time God permitted divorce was if the husband could look upon his wife and just not get over and trust her and love her for the sake of, for the reason of she had been unfaithful and had given herself to someone else, right? So God said, the law said, if that was the case, then he had to write to write her a certificate of divorce. A divorce had to be legalized. There had to be a document that was written, a certificate that was written. That certificate had to be given directly to the wife before a divorce could be official. All right. This shows how serious marriage and divorce was to God. Right. Because divorce, divorce has an implication of ripping apart or cutting apart two souls that had become one. And divorce always, 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 always causes so much damage. Now, I don't want to condemn anybody if you've been through a divorce. That's not what this is about. There's restoration in God. There's reconciliation. There's redemption in God, right? But what we do want to talk about is how seriously, how important marriage is, um, marriage is to God. And, and in fact, it's so important that he said that after this woman was given a divorce and she was released and, and sent out of the house, if she went then to remarry a man and that man, that man ends up hating her or divorcing her or dying, then the previous husband was not to marry her because, look at what the word says, uh, in chapter in verse four, it says, "For that is an abomination before the Lord, because at that point she would be considered defiled, right?" And then it actually continues to say, "And you shall not bring." This is important. You shall not bring sin upon the land that the Lord your God is giving you for an inheritance. This right here is what sums up why we must live and why we must take heed uh, to God's laws, to God's word, because we are not to bring upon sin upon our land, right? It's serious. It's detrimental. As people of God, sin should never enter our camp. We have to be diligent to ensure that we don't bring sin into our homes, that we don't bring sin into our families, that we don't bring sin into our lives that would cause a separation or that would cause us to be cursed uh, in our inheritance, right? So he continues in verse five and he presents a new law. In verse five, he says, when a man is newly married, he shall not go out with the army or be liable for any other public duty He shall be free at home for one year to be happy with his wife whom he has taken 
Now, I love another version of the Bible says that he shall be free to make his wife happy. I want to say that again. He shall be free for an entire year to make his wife happy. I want to encourage you. If you, if men, if you have an opportunity, read through Ephesians 5 on the role of the husband, right? Our responsibility, our duty is to give our lives in such a way that it brings pleasure to our wives, that it makes our wives happy. My wife used to hate when I would always say, uh, happy wife, happy life. So I have changed my statement to say happy spouse, happy house, right? Because a responsibility, the responsibility of a man, of a husband is to be a delight to his wife. And this is a constant uh a constant give and take in a marriage, uh, 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 this cycle of I surrender myself to her, I serve her, I love her, I make her happy, and in return, she's doing the same as we are surrendering to one another and serving one another because that is the will of God for marriage to be a happy marriage, for a house to be a happy house, for uh, two people to be joyfully together with one another. So much so that when you first got married, it was the law of the people that for the first year, you were not liable to any public duty. You were not liable to go to war. Your sole responsibility was to enjoy your marriage, to find pleasure in your marriage, to be happy in your home, and to make your wife happy. Ladies, I'm trying to help you out here. Husbands, happy spouse, happy house. Come on, somebody. Put it in the comment. Happy spouse, happy house. That's your responsibility as a man. And uh, You know, I'm going to write on the men just a little bit right here because we, we, we have really, really, I'm, I'm going to speak from a man's perspective. We have really, fellas, missed it. We've missed it. We've missed it. We've missed making our homes, our families, our wives a priority in the home. We have missed it because of the fact that we want to hang out with the boys. We want to go to the bars. We want to play video games. We want to go shooting. We want to go hunting and blah, blah. Let me tell you something. Your home, your children, and your wife always come first period. They are not there to make you happy. Period. Your wife, your children, your home always come first. All right. I'm off I'm I'm off the I'm off the uh what do you call that? I'm off the uh oh I forget the little platform you speak on. You freeze from. Anyways, okay. So we continue in verse six. It says, no one shall take a mill or an upper millstone in a pledge, for that would be taking a life in pledge. A millstone was an essential uh, to, fam to a family's life lifehood in that time. And so what this law intended to ensure was that people did not take advantage or profit from the poverty or the difficulties of others. This command forbids anyone from taking a collateral 
uh, that would take away a man's ability to provide uh, for his family and get himself out of debt, right? So we are to actually be a blessing to those in need, not take advantage of those in need. Verse 7, if a man is found stealing one of his brothers of the people of Israel, and if he treats him as a slave or sells him, then that thief shall die. So you, so you shall purge the evil from your midst. Two things. Number one, obviously, kidnapping is wrong, <laughs> right? I don't think we have to de- go deep into that. Kidnapping is wrong. But in that time, the biggest reason why people would kidnap a person was to sell them into slavery. We see this in the story of Joseph when his brothers, in a sense, kidnapped him, throw him in a pit for the purpose of selling him off as a slave. And that's actually something that would commonly happen. And God says, no, no, no. If a kidnapping happens, it's actually punishable by death, right? And then he says, listen, you shall purge the evil from your midst. Look how uh, how detrimental God considers sin, right? Look how evil God considers sin to the point that he says, no, no, no. If sin exists in your camp, kidnapping, whatever it is, purge it, get rid of it. If that's punishing, the thief shall die. You're purging sin from your from your camp. That's how seriously God took sin. Verses 8 through 9, he says, take care in a case of leprous disease, I'm speeding through this because I want to get to like my main point at the very end, which I think will sum all this up. Take care in a case of leprous disease to be very careful to do according to all the Levitical uh, priests shall direct you. As I commanded them, so you shall be careful to do. Remember what the Lord your God did to Miriam on the way as you came out of Egypt. Now, in Numbers chapter 12, we have the story of Miriam, and Miriam led her brother Aaron in a rebellion against Moses. And for it, God struck Miriam with leprosy, right? Though Moses prayed for her to be healed, God let her uh, be a leper for seven days before healing her, and she was shut out of the camp seven days, meaning that she was segregated from the camp she was set apart from the camp back in those days uh leprosy was was considered to be very contagious so what they would do is they would remove the leper from the camp and segregate them outside of the camp so no one else would be con- uh, contaminated and, and uh and and got, uh, caught the sickness or whatever and so in numbers 14 even miriam who was considered to be a leader the sister of Moses, right, was not exempt from this. She was removed from her people. She was segregated from the people, set apart from the people. And so God is saying, hey, don't forget that if I did it for Miriam, I'll make sure, like, you're not exempt. If Miriam was not exempt, you're not exempt. So make sure you take care to ensure that you follow the process of the Levitical law the Levitical priest, when you're dealing with a leprous disease, because if someone as prominent as Miriam was quarantined as a leper, it showed them that every other leper in Israel should also 
be quarantined, set apart, and segregated. Deuteronomy 24, uh, verses 10 to 13. When you, when you make your neighbor alone of any sort, you shall not go into his house to collect his pledge. You shall stand outside, and the man to whom you make the loan shall bring the pledge out to you. And if he is a poor man, you shall not sleep in his pledge. You shall restore to him the pledge as the sun sets, that he may sleep in his cloak and bless you, and it shall be righteousness for you before the Lord your God. So what he's saying here is when you received a pledge for a loan for someone, it had to be in a way that was respectful, honorable, and humanely done not to shame the person taking the loan. That's why you don't go into his house and shame this man entire in front of his entire family and show and let his family see that he's making a pledge to you because he could not provide for his family. So he had to come to you for a resource he did not have. Got to say, no, no, no. Do this in a way that is decent, that honors the person and allows that person to keep his respect and his honor in his family. Don't go into his house to take the pledge. Let him come out to you and bring the pledge, right? Receiving a pledge for a loan was not a problem, right? Because it encouraged a personal responsibility of that person having to pay back the loan to get his pledge, right? To get his pledge back. But the problem was, from the beginning, God has always desired for us to show mercy, kindness, compassion, and care for those who are poor and in need. That's why God said, hey, if this man is poor, then guess what? You give his pledge right back. Don't take it from him. Before that sun goes down, before the end, the day ends, you ensure you get that pledge back to him. And in, that, in those days, the pledge would be their cloak. Their cloak was very important because they used their cloak for many things. They used their cloak to wear. They used their cloak as blankets in the cold of the night. And so that's why I said, hey, give him back his pledge so that he can sleep with it in the warmth of the night, right? That he may sleep in his cloak and bless you. Because if you mistreated a poor person, then guess what? Uh, then he would ha be able to pray to God and cry out to God against you. And the Bible says that if you treat this poor, these poor people with decency, respect, and you show them kindness and compassion and mercy and care, it will be counted as righteousness for you before the Lord. As verse 13 tells us, right? Verse 14 to 15, he says, You shall not oppress a hired worker who is poor and needy, whether he is one of your brothers or one of the sojourners. That's important. Whether he's your brother or a foreigner who are in the land within your towns, you shall give him his wages on the same day before the sun sets, for he is poor and counts on it, lest he cry out against you to the Lord and you be guilty of sin. How we treat people who are poor and in need matters to God. How we treat people who are poor and in need, whether they are brothers or foreigners. Let me put it in today's language. Citizens or immigrants. We're not trying to get political. This is Bible, right? Brothers 
or foreigners, those among you who are not from your people, who are not from your land, how you treat people who are not the same ethnicity, the same background, the same demographic, the same country is important to God. And we are to meet their needs. Look at what he says. You shall give him his wages. If they work for you, you shall give him his wages on the same day before the sun sets, for he is poor and counts on it. How we treat people as a business owner, how you treat your employees matters to God. As a, as a fellow colleague, how you treat your colleagues, how you treat your coworkers, how you treat those uh, you manage, how you treat your family, your children matters to God. Right? Verse 16, fathers shall not be put to death because of their children, nor shall children be put to death because of their fathers. Each one shall be put to death for his own sin. This simply teaches us that we are all accountable for our own sins. I'm not accountable for, uh, for Bob's sins. I'm not accountable for Doug's sins. Uh, my children are not accountable for my sins. I'm not accountable for their sins. I'm responsible for my own life and my own actions and my own sins. Now, you say, but Jose, we read the book of, uh, of uh, what's it, uh, Joshua, right? Joshua, where uh, I believe it was Achan. Uh, who who took uh, some of the treasure from the land that God said, hey, don't take anything. And God wiped out his entire family, right? And you you read that story and say, okay, but but he said that the sins of the father, uh, it, it, you know, the father shall not be put to death because of their children and the children shall not be put to death because of their fathers. What that means is that in that story, there had to be an implication where the family conspired together to hide the treasure. Because God said, each person shall be put to death for his own sin, right? We're all responsible before God for our own sins. Uh, Verse 17 to 18, you shall not pervert the justice uh, due to the sojourner or to the fatherless or take a widow's garment in pledge, but you shall remember that you were a slave in Egypt and the Lord your God redeemed you from there. Therefore, I command you to do this. In other words, treat others well, whether they are foreigners or whether they are fatherless or whether they're a widow, because you need to remember that in your time of need, I was there for you. And the same way that I loved you, cared for you, showed you kindness, showed you compassion, set you free from Egypt, is the same way that you need to love others. Which brings me to my whole point. I'm not even going to read 19 to 22, right? Jesus said, or Jesus was a person, he asked, they, were, they asked him, Jesus, what is the greatest commandment? And Jesus said two things. Number one, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. The second one is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Right. Uh, I believe it was Paul who wrote that uh, all of the law could be summed up in this. This one thing to love God. And to love your neighbor. Right. Because there is no law. Against loving. 
right? As you read through this book of Deuteronomy, read it through the lens of what Jesus taught. What he's saying throughout this whole thing is simply, number one, eradicate sin, right? Don't let sin in your camp. Purge sin. Why? Because you love me. Number two, love people. If you could... If you could do those things, those two things, then there is no breaking the law. There's no mistreating the poor. There's no mistreating your employees. There is no kidnapping. There is no divorce. There is no, uh, you know, abusing your children. There, whatever the case may be. If you could just do those two things, if you truly love God and if you truly love people, then you'll treat them well. If you truly love people, and you truly love God, then you treat others with respect. If you truly love God and you truly love people, then you honor people. You won't take from them. You won't take advantage of their poverty. You won't take advantage of their difficulty. You won't break the law if you simply fall in love with God and you love people. And, and that's, that's all we've got to do. Right? Don't get overwhelmed by, oh my gosh, the, the, the divorce laws. Oh my gosh, I, you know working for a year, whatever. No, don't, don't get caught up in all that. If you can sum it up, if I could just sum it up for you in two things, I would do it just as Jesus did. Love God with all of your heart, with all of your mind, with all of your strength, with all of your soul, mind, heart, body, whatever, and love people as yourself, right? Love God, love people. That's all that matters. Amen? Amen. All right, let's pray. Father, we just thank you. We thank you for your word. We thank you uh, for the truth that we find in it, God. We pray that you would uh, allow us the ability and the grace, give us the grace to love you and love people well, God, um, and, and correct us where we need to be corrected, challenge us where we need to be challenged. And um, Lord, we pray that in everything we do, that your name would be glorified, lifted up and magnified. And we pray all these things in Jesus' mighty name. Amen and amen. Okay. Hey, I love you guys. Make sure you come out to church on Sunday and we'll see you then. God bless you.